head into the Ringerverse to stay up to date with all things superheroes and nerd culture entertainment. Hosted by a rotating lineup of superfans at the Ringer, including Mallory Rubin and Van Lathan, shows will provide instant reactions to blockbuster releases, insightful backstories on canon, and mind-bending theories, as well as fresh takes on the latest news and rumors. Check out the Ringerverse on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Hello, media consumers. Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker here, along with producer Erica Cervantes. David, we got a piece of listener mail on Friday that we didn't get to. I wanted to read it today because I think it's a portal to a really interesting discussion. This comes from our good pal, Nick Field. He writes, with football season coming up, can we have a conversation on why former players and coaches dominate pregame and postgame shows? Amina Kimes, that is an ESPN NFL podcaster and TV person, would be 100 times more informative than a Rex Ryan, that is a former NFL coach, at 10% of the cost. Why do all of the networks stick with this outdated formula? Ooh. Yeah. So here's what I propose. We answer Nick's specific question, but then we kind of zoom out a little bit because I think what he's asking is a really, really salient media question, only in journalism word salient, in 2021, which is why is this thing I'm watching on TV not as good as my favorite podcast? Mm-hmm. I watch cable news. It's not as good as my favorite political podcast. I watch sports TV. It's not as smart as the Ringer NFL show. Okay. Well, first of all, I would I think that Mina Kimes is a little bit of a red herring in the conversation only because she's gotten so many reps and is so good at her job that there's not she is a big TV person now. She is a big TV personality, right? Because I think that the number one or one of the top reasons is how little time they have to work with on television and the amount of impact you can make in that time, right? Yep. Rex Rex Ryan breathing into a microphone for 10 seconds makes more of an impact to the average viewer than you and I saying the most brilliant thing we could possibly <laughs> construct over the course of a minute, right? I'm willing to concede that, yes. The, it, the other thing is that for people like... Like he's like us, but the, you know, the, 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 the writers and podcasters of the world, we're used to hour long formats. It takes us a while to get to rev up, you know, yeah. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta get getting to the point is never like, has never been on a dry erase board in the press box offices, right? <laughs> does not like stick, get to the point fast. No, no one cares. <laughs> we have time. We have airtime to fill. We don't um, have a shot clock. No, we don't have a shot clock. And I think that obviously that's the thing that comes with reps, right? I mean, if you look at like our buddy, Zach Lowe, I don't think anybody would have mistaken him for a television personality five years ago. Right. Or for like, it's not, no one, you know, it's nothing. There's not like a specific knock, but like, I would think he would tell you he was uncomfortable being on camera, you know? And and that's the sort of thing where like, there are people who come up from like the television journalism school, like literally or figuratively. And then there are people that come up as writers or whatever else. And, and, and I think that for the latter category, most people are deeply uncomfortable when they get on camera. It's not what you're used to doing, you know, and that sort of discomfort is not 
a multi-million dollar company like ESPN, like whatever Fox Sports, whoever we're talking about here, doesn't necessarily have a vested interest in on the job training because there's not like a farm league for a lot of these outlets, right? I mean, I guess you could like tuck somebody and like, you know, the Poughkeepsie evening news, but that's not really a, a normal thing to happen. So I think they just sort of take some the, the talent as ready-made as it comes. And like I said, it all boils down to your presence, your existence kind of take making like half of the point of interest for you. Right. And it's, and I think that that doesn't come, it, it takes a lot of work and a lot of esteem and a lot of, a lot of just general Q rating and popularity to get to a point where a podcaster, even the biggest podcaster can make that sort of impact just with the first three words out of their mouth. Bill was our boss, Bill Simmons had a turn on NBA countdown. He was probably one of the very few, probably the only one at that time to sort of take that path right from the podcasting world. And it's, it's just not, it's, it's not conventional. Now, listen, I mean, there's been a bunch of writers over the years, right. But that, but that's, but that was, it was, that was more of an old school thing. It felt like an old school thing, even 10 years ago, 15 years ago, right. That like the, the, that the old, grandfatherly local sports writers would be you know, elevated to that point, even all the way through to Rick Riley when he was doing TV. Yeah. But, and but I'd say on the, on the pregame and postgame show specifically, the writer was usually the information person. That's Will McDonough, Adam Schefter, mm-hmm. you know, Jay Glazer. They have a particular sure. role that's not like pundit role, like what you're talking mm-hmm. about. But I do think even that's changed when you talk about your Schefters or Woj or whoever else. I mean, and even and even people who are not just like news brokers who are writers, the the fact that they're that they're dealing more in on Twitter almost inherently makes their stories or makes their points bite size and television appropriate, if that makes any sense. You know what I mean? Like it's like there's a world in which like the 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 most plugged in NFL reporter speaks in or writes in paragraphs or multiple paragraph pieces so you get a point across and that's not and <laughs> Schefter is obviously in it, pieces yeah <laughs> and and Schefter's obviously in it like exists well he writes all but 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 you know we know him largely now as a Twitter personality too so you know he's already sort of comes prepackaged and obviously his delivery I mean he's 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 not exactly a you know Tom Brokaw but he's but he's he he has a very distinct and very functional TV style that I think really works. I love opening up a Google Doc and cracking my knuckles and saying, you know, I think this one's going to have multiple paragraphs. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going long, long form, three paragraphs, four paragraphs. How, how far could I push this baby? Oh, man. Just lots of lots of line breaks, man. I want to pull. OK, I want to pull a few things from what you just said there. One is you're talking about and I completely agree that TV and podcast world, writing world are actually just different art forms. Mm-hmm. The art of television, such as it is, is the ability to speak in a soundbite that goes from somewhere from like 15 seconds to 30 seconds, maybe if you got a long time, 45 seconds on those pregame shows. Yeah. And to me, and, and as you as you point out, that is not a natural skill that most writers and podcasters have, nor I would add is that a natural skill that most, a lot of them would want to have, mm-hmm. you know, whenever I see those people who are, you know, how the MSNBC and CNN signed up like every New York times and Washington post reporter. Yes. I always think like, okay, I know you want to be famous. I know you want to get more money uh, by going on those shows. Nothing wrong with that. 
But like, do you want to be at the beck and call of shows that have you come on and talk in sound bites like that? Mm-hmm. Is that like, is that, is that beyond the sort of obvious benefits? Is that like a pleasurable experience? Cause it wouldn't be a pleasurable experience for me. Yeah. I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want to do that. I might want the things that come with that, which would be cool, but I don't know that I would actually want to do that. So my question, you know, for writers and stuff is like, man, I aspire to be on around the horn, whatever it is. I'm like, really? Do you, do you want to do that? Um, so they're different art forms. Yes. Another thing you said was fame. They are almost totally different spheres of being famous. Mm-hmm. TV, I think at its base, a lot of people watch TV to see famous people. Mm-hmm. That's why they watch television. Remember when we had this conversation about Charles Barkley with the Gons the other day? And it's like Charles Barkley keeps messing up all these fundamental facts about basketball on inside the NBA. Yeah. Why are people watching Charles Barkley? Because he's famous. Yeah. Well, he's also really funny. <laughs> and I he's mean, funny. He's-, he's really good at his job, right? In that in that respect. I, and I always find this, I think this is like in Twitter world, this is always a little startling because people have massive followings, but I always use my uncles as an example they're in their 60s they're huge sports fans one of them is a dallas cowboy season ticket holder if i gave them a list of my top 10 favorite nfl writers they wouldn't recognize any of the names oh yeah they would have no idea who those people are well that's i mean this is a total sidebar but uh, to what degree have they migrated to like the athletic or uh, you know just various websites because certainly like Not. The dallas morning like but where i mean did they read them online yeah because the, the but more the local, on those free the local papers still, I guess I guess the local papers still do some justice to the Cowboys. But by and large, the sports page has been reduced a whole lot. But more on those free aggregating sites. Yeah. This, is, oh, like, yeah, this okay. is like its own media nightmare, right? People that are really, really interested in football aren't paying for football content other than subscribing to ESPN. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that, that's. I guess that's not too shocking. But if I said, like, do you know who Joe Buck is? They would say, absolutely. Do you know who Terry Bradshaw and Howie Long are? They would say, absolutely. But if I, again, listed any of the top 10 NFL writers, I don't think they would know who those people were. I doubt in most cases they would have even heard the name. So to them, it's like there's like this kind of world of television, which is just filled with famous people, often people that got really famous playing football. And then there's this other realm that's just completely separate from that. And again, yeah. I think a lot of people wouldn't mind, certainly, if some of those writery, podcastery people migrated into the into the TV realm. But that's not why they go to television. They go to television to watch famous people they've probably already heard of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, I mean, do you think that there's a distinction between the era of, well, I guess our youth, but just sort of your uncles when they were, you know, probably in their uh, 20s and 30s and 40s, whatever, reading 20s and 30s, reading the sports page where if they were in Dallas, I know they weren't always in Dallas, but the, but but they but if, if you're in the town where your team plays and you read the local newspaper and you have the three or four voices that write gamers or or, you know, cover the Cowboys or more importantly, probably write columns about the NFL and the Cowboys. It, it, is that a level of fame? You know, and those people would go on to be on TV, and a lot of them went on to be on ESPN in the early days. But is that is that <laughs> a level from Dallas? Yeah, exactly. But is that like a is is that is that a level of awareness to the average fan that you think is like that makes the transition to TV make more sense? Yeah, 
I mean, it's just, I just think it's a different, it's a, the, the, that world from newspapers, they absolutely knew who those people were, especially the columnists. Mm -hmm. It's just that that has kind of largely phased out and been, you know, papers have withered. The paper is not as central in understanding the team. So if we just think of like 2021, I think you can almost argue that, that those are just kind of different. That that's just a, that's just an old world. That's not familiar to them or really a whole lot of people at this point. It's interesting. I mean, in in some sense, you might just speaking of Dallas reporters in general. I mean, it's specifically, but I guess reporters in general. I mean, they're listen. ESPN is uh, is you know the place to be if you want to if you're a writer that wants to be on TV. But it is sort of interesting to look at like the early days of Around the Horn. I mean, even now the current days Around the Horn that like the Tim Callishaws of the world are there doing you know as part of a five person panel instead of being a more forward facing role, right? They were, those jobs were already going to ex athletes and ex coaches at that point in time. And the writers, even the great ones, Kalishaw, Pablo Torre, I mean, Bob Ryan, Woody Page, these guys, Jay Mariotti are like now on a sort of, um, you know, just kind of being cordoned off into their own little writers area. Yeah. The other element I would add to this discussion is, there's something very specific to sports television here in 2021, which is that it's the last thing anybody's watching on television. So, you know, when you, when we think of like you and I grew up watching sitcoms and dramas on network television, mm -hmm. the ratings for those things have by and large fallen into the abyss. The ratings for live sports, on the other hand, have maintained a lot of the mojo from the three network era, not all of it, but a lot of it, I saw Kendall Baker, who writes this really good sports newsletter in Axios the other day, he said 22 of the 25 highest rated shows this year are sporting events. Yeah. And one of, and the, one of the other ones was an episode of The Equalizer that ran right after the Super Bowl. So that, <laughs> we could probably count that as a sporting event. So and yeah. one was Biden's inauguration. Right. So the whole the whole idea of m the last kind of mass network television certainly and really almost all of television television is sports so this when we talk about this whole idea of like oh wow you have this thing that's more like niche and small and you have this thing that's big on television tell sports television is still really big it almost be like saying why you know why can't my friends be on a sitcom in the 80s well sitcoms in the 80s were huge not you couldn't just walk onto those kinds of things so I would mm -hmm. say that there is, at least in network executives' minds, still this high bar to get to the show. Oh, yeah. And it's just, and it's totally different than anything else on television right now. Well, that's definitely true. And but that, I mean, so, I mean, but do you think that that, the fact that it's the big, those are the biggest shows around, right? But in some sense, those are, it's not so much that they've succeeded as if, is that they've maintained in a world where everybody else yes. is losing, right? Yes. And so you have to wonder if the ideology behind picking the, you know, picking the hosts, picking the, whatever, the studio guests for the show is just a holdover as well. Like, is it, is it, is it evolving or is it just like, Hey, we're like, let's just not break any eggs, right? Let's just, let's just keep doing what we're doing. That's the second question I want to address with you here, because it's like, Wait a second. Why is that the case? And if there was always, you know, throughout history, this distinction between mass product that was usually way, way, way broad and niche product that was often cast as a lot smarter and a lot more in depth. Does it have to be that way in 2021? Let's answer that, David, after we do the overword Twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious. How'd you like that tease? 
But all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Send your nominees to at the press box pod where they are always, always gratefully received. On Friday, David, we had Claire McNear on the pod talking about her Jeopardy reporting. Well, today we have a Jeopardy overworked Twitter joke about now former host Mike Richards. Mm-hmm. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write. Ultimately, the Jeopardy host search failed because the questions came after the answer. That's how they do it on Jeopardy. Thanks to Ryan Banyan for that one. Uh, David, championship teams in sports paused their White House visits during Donald Trump's term in office, but now the visits have resumed. This week, it was the 2020 WNBA champion Seattle Storm visiting the White House. It was an overworked Twitter joke, or maybe just a good joke to write, you all laughed at QAnon, but the storm is here. <laughs> Funny. Wow, that's nice. I don't. I can't believe that was overworked, but I really it appreciate wasn't. the humor. That. Sometimes you just go for the funny here because I really I can't find three <laughs> examples. And finally, David, a scary tweet from the New York Post: Eating one hot dog takes thirty-five minutes off your life. Study suggests one hot dog takes thirty-five minutes off your life. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write. That means Joey Chestnut technically died 50 years ago. <laughs> oh, that's great. Thanks to the Ringer's own Matt James, Victor Flores, and Mike Miller. If you realize that David and I also technically died 50 years ago, congrats. You made the overword Twitter joke of the week. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Okay, to return to our topic at hand here. 2021. The world is way different. As you point out, newspapers aren't what they once were. Mm -hmm. Your average sports fan is reading stuff that on balance is way more technical that is way smarter, that is pitched at a higher level than I think at any time in history, right? Just read the ringer. You're just going to find football discussed on a totally different level than you would have found it discussed in the Dallas morning news in the eighties. So the question that you raise, and I think is the right question is do TV and podcasting have to exist in these separate spheres? Why can't one be like the other? Why couldn't you put those people on television broadcast and just say, hey, fans are ready for this? Still a mass audience. There's still a lot of people there that are sort of coming in that are watching football because it's a thing to do on a Sunday rather than a thing they just love with all their heart. But could you push them a little bit and go there and make a different kind of broadcast? Well, maybe this is beside the point, but it does seem to me, I was thinking, you you think about the news networks, right? If, you know, Michelle Cinder pops up on MSNBC. Well, actually, she's been doing TV for a good for, for a lot of time. So this is not like a reflection on her in particular. But just if anybody signs on to one of these jobs for the first time, there probably are a lot of people that say what you said before, which is like, I'm not, I'm I don't want to do that. I'm uncomfortable doing that. But the but you said, but you also said you'd be you you might want what comes with it, right? And I think sure. whoever pops up, then that that take that trumps it. Or I mean, there's gonna be some people who are dying to be on TV. But I think that a lot of those people take those jobs with the 
specific and direct assurance that their producers will take care of them, you know, and just sort of guide them through, you know, baby steps at first and whatever. And if it's pre-records or just, you know, scripting things out, making sure that they make the point exactly in the most concise way as possible, you know, they're, they're happy to help you along and that makes the conversations. And then generally they'll make the point and then the TV talent quote unquote will take it from there. You know, they'll, they'll do the rest. I don't think it's I don't think it's crazy to say to I me mean, to, to to guess that you know you could definitely do that in sports television. You could definitely do that on pregame shows. You could definitely have name you know fill in the blank uh, podcaster or blogger or whatever else come in and say, you know, listen, I've run the numbers, and the real problem here is that you know the Raiders are only averaging whatever you know, or just I mean, it could be a very specific you know arcane data point. I still think there's this the disconnect between what those people would offer and what the talent would want to talk about or would have to say about it. You know, if someone goes on MSNBC and they and they and they present news, then presumably the people in the studio are like, that's like, yes, let's discuss. So I know I have a point of view on this. Right. Um, if that happens on sports, I think you'd get you'd, you'd have it would be a rather frequent occurrence where whatever the you know, like a, like we're like, a you know, a data a data nerd, if you will, would say something that like the rest of the, st- the rest of the cast just didn't care about. Right. And then, <laughs> and, and you'd kind of be, and that would make for very awkward television. Um, but, if it was, yeah, if it was a statistical thing. Yeah, you're right. I guess I'm being really specific, but I do think that it's, it's, it's not hard to imagine a world in which uh, a lot of, you know, in, in which people, podcasters, whoever else make the leap. Um, but, uh, you know, I just think it takes such a different, it just takes touch, such a different like arithmetic from the people who are, who are producing the shows, right? I mean, I just can't even imagine some of the execs that we know at the big sports networks, like trying to, uh, like what are you trying to like procure headshots of all the people on the Ringer podcast network and like, you know, just imagine <laughs> and like listen to their audio and just try to imagine what it would be like, or even the ones where there's video, you know, I mean, it's, Oh my God. Can we I mean, do that as a be, bit on the ringer? Have like a yeah. video, like all of us trying out for Fox NFL Sunday. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That would be so great. I, I mean, maybe Terry and Jimmy would uh, cooperate with us if we could uh, if we could set that up. I can speak from personal experience, and I assume that you would agree, although we've never talked about it. But I know that we both stood on the Fox NFL Sunday set. Yeah, it's it One felt time or another. it felt more or less like walking on razor blades when I was there. I mean, the cameras weren't <laughs> on or anything. You just get out there. And I don't. I, I'm not just like like give me my top hat and cane i'm gonna dance like i just i mean it just makes me feel like like i'm in a place i shouldn't be the, as soon as i step on this like holy ground that's what you think no of no no it? not holy ground just like i hope to god none of these cameras are accidentally running or like actually you feel like you're you feel like you're like you're photobombing a news segment or something like it's like am i is someone gonna see me here um but it just is like you know there, there are people who are born for it and um and 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 more importantly, people that have pursued it already, obviously they're at a different, I just think uh, the premiums, the premium structure is set up so that like, if like you're better off learning broadcasting and learning TV broadcasting and, and, you know, f- becoming great at the sort of intellectual point, intellectual parts of the job, than the, than the people who start out as, you know, writers or podcasters or anything else and learn 
the broadcasting part of the job. I think the first one, I mean, it's a visual medium. I think that the first one is just, there's just a straighter path. There's a lot of tele. Okay, there's a lot of television that is hard to explain. That is not just I'm, you know, very sharp and I can write something down that's very good. Mm-hmm. There's a lot about the camera and about your voice and about just understanding the medium. That you're right is is sort of hard to hard to figure out. And I think somebody coming from writing has a pretty steep climb in there. I keep coming back to the NBA countdown example we talked about a few months ago Remember when NBA countdown during the finals was doing that thing where they went around and every panelist had to speak during a halftime that was like 30 seconds long so everybody got like exactly 9.45 seconds or whatever Mm -hmm. it was to talk to me there's the who are we putting on camera question and there is also a separate question of why are we doing it like this why are we yeah. talking in sound bites that are that short? Why are we well, going around the horn, no pun intended, to get everybody to talk? Why are we talking in this really stilted way? And I think the answer is we're doing it because pregame shows have had that vocabulary for as long as there have been pregame shows. Mm-hmm. And I'd be really interested if there was any evidence that people would turn it off if it were cast slightly differently, no matter who was doing the talking. Because, you know, Rex Ryan can talk in a 30-second soundbite or whatever it is, but Rex Ryan presumably also knows a lot about football that he's not explaining on that show, right? Rex Ryan can be pushed in in a different direction or whomever can be pushed in a different direction Mm -hmm. or even just talk or just have a football conversation in a totally different way. So why isn't that happening? Well, people are afraid of change or, I mean, of trying new things because, for fear that it will fail miserably on their watch. Right. I mean, these people are getting paid lots of money to not, not fuck up. Um, yes, but that's I, true. I agree. I mean, it, it seems like we've, you know, we've had iterations of this conversation a million times as have presumably every single person listening to this show, but it does seem, I mean, it does seem like rather obvious, right. That you would just try having, intelligent lengthy conversations even if you're doing like picture in picture with a silent domino's pizza ad running you know or whatever at the same time like finding ways to monetize things that are actually interesting one would think that the advertisers would see the value in that as well yeah because it keeps people watching while their cheese is stretched across the screen right but the but it's if it were I guess I guess I always kind of assume having spent a little time around TV and you spent a lot more than I have, but I always just kind of assume that whenever there's a question that just has existed for such a length of time, it just sort of beggars belief that there is a very straightforward sort of like industry canard that has been repeated over and over again as the answer that I just don't know. Right. I don't think it's right. I don't think I like I still think that that that's, it'd be crazy, but I just I presume that there's a very straightforward oh, this never works, you know, oh, this kind of thing can't work. And then, and, you know, it has a, it, it's just the sort of thing that everyone's heard from their, their predecessors and just believes to be true. Yeah. I mean, I think part of when we talk about pregame shows, like whirling around and, and everybody talking in these short bursts, you know, you don't want to go on a football Sunday when people are, you know, want to have fun and, and be excited and have someone talking like Spalding Gray. That that that's not going to work. <laughs> I'm going to look into the camera and talk to you for an hour. That that mm-hmm. that is not going to be the approach. But 
you want people, I think, having fun, right? I think that's something well, probably that research has told us. You want people laughing. Let's come and back. A good let's time. come back to that. Yeah, but go on. We'll come back to forced fun in a second. But I also think that at some point, if you deviate too far from what normal human conversation is like, like the way people actually talk to each other versus the way people talk to each other on TV a lot of the time, specifically sports TV, you're going to turn people off sooner or later. That's what the ESPN NBA shows did. Mm -hmm. It eventually gets to this point where it's like, I don't like this because this doesn't sound like the way people talk. These people aren't talking to each other. They're just, they're doing this canned kind of thing. and, And it just got to be too much. So I'm always wondering like, we can we can set the rules. Hey, nobody, you know, nobody go on for podcast length, uh, you know, monologues here. But can't you have a conversation that's kind of unscripted that just kind of maybe goes to an interesting place for a few minutes and then we whirl around to the stadiums and all that stuff? I, I'm not I'm not convinced that can't happen and you can't sort of break the mold that has been pregame shows for as long as you and I have been alive. Yeah, the fun, the having fun thing is, I think, where uh, where this whole conversation sort of turns, right? Because fake fun has become such a currency on these shows, and Ooh. we've talked about this a million times. But just the, Ooh. I mean, if if the if the Fox halftime shows are two and a half minutes long, it's like forty five seconds plus of just guffawing, right? And that's. <laughs> <laughs> David, uh, slapping you on the back, David. Just oh my gosh, we're having fun here, aren't we? We're just yeah. cutting up. Yeah. And it's sort of, I mean, there's a lot of value to that, I think, in probably, you know, very mystical ways, but that it it does seem like that soaks up the potential or kind of eclipses the potential for having actual fun, which when you think about it is a lot of what really makes podcasts successful too, right? It's just the relationships and the sort of like, you know, not just in jokes, but the sort of humor that can be produced from in jokes, you know, and, and, and just sort of you know, the sort of relationships uh, that are often inherent to those things. Right. So, I mean, it's a, listen, every, like I said, everybody who's listening to this podcast has at some point had a conversation about football or about basketball with a friend at a bar and said like, dude, they should have us on the show. We'd be better at this, but it like, like I was, I don't know how much to pull back the curtain, but I was at, you know, SummerSlam this weekend and got a beer with Bill Simmons and he came down and Bill was fresh off vacation and like worked basically like workshopping in real time. The ideas that like made it onto his pot, his most recent episode of his podcast. Right. Uh-huh. I just and, listened to it. and then Kaz, my podcast co-host Kazim came and sat with us. Kaz hosts the, 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 the um, MSG Knicks after, after show amongst, I mean, besides doing a trillion other things. So he comes in and so the basketball conversation heats up. Right. And then like, Andreas Hale from Sports Illustrated pops in for a minute and we start talking about the Pacquiao fight and boxing in general. And I say we, I mean, I'm just sitting back and watching half of this stuff. And there really is a mo- point where you're sitting there and you're just like, yeah, I mean, this is more fun than everything. Like this is like, just pull up the cameras. Like this would be great. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, and not the, that's why Bill got a TV show, you know, I mean, that's why Bill's been on TV. These things, these are very obvious ideas that don't always, you know, last, but I mean, it's just hard to imagine that there's not, that there, that there's not an opportunity there, you know? I mean, it's, it's kind of, when you think about it, it's sort of amazing that, that no, that every time somebody gets a new, you know, TV deal for football, 
they just they go out of their way to hire the exact they hire away people from the other networks that can replicate the same jobs that they're already doing right in one sense that's not that's obvious but and and again this goes back to not fucking it up if, you're, if your network spends billions of dollars to get you know a cardinals game then you're going to do whatever you can just to like earn that money back but safely but it is crazy with so many networks out there that there aren't a lot of examples of of people doing different stuff now listen we're just talking about pregame and postgame. I mean, you know, there's shows like, um, what's a good example? Like Good Morning Football is like probably the, like the closest thing on TV to a good podcast, right? And that, there's they, a good, that's a good to, example. Really they, good. Pull, they pull that stuff off. I mean, that is, to me, the most one of the most consistently watchable sports shows on television. You know, I watch The Jump with, with you know, great frequency. Um, and my only, my, my only complaint with that show base, really is that it's, you know, I wish it were longer or I wish they, you know, they gave more space for specific conversations, which is what we're talking about, obviously. Um, but, you know, it's, it's hard. It's, it's just easy to imagine. I mean, it's just like, it just never happens. And it's, and it's kind of wild that it never happens. Now, all this said, we talk about, you know, I opened up the show talking about podcasters not working in sound bites, right. And the, and, 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 and the two mediums not really being, you know, being, easy pairs but it's not like the networks have never done this before right i mean like like dennis miller like he was not exactly a huge success story but he was he was a famous comedian but there was no reason to believe that he would be good at getting in even if he knew everything about the sport he nothing you know saturday night live does not prep you for being in a booth right i mean so i mean it's not like it's not like it's feasible that you would have such a track record in one area that you would get an opportunity to try something totally new in the sports world. Um, obviously being the best, you know, one of the best players at your position of all time doesn't mean that you are necessarily a good broadcaster, but most networks are willing to give you a shot there, but that goes back to sort of recognizability in both, in both of those cases and kind of making an impact by your making an impact slash statement by your very presence. Um, you know, I think it's feasible that, someone who's the one of the biggest podcasters in the world would be a draw on, you know, on, on network television. I think some of that's just a new media thing where I think there'd be a lot of people at your NBCs and Foxes who were like, yeah, that's fake. Your downloads don't mean anything to me until they get until it's eyeballs, you know, whatever. But like, you know, it's I, it, the level of fame, I think is sort of how, what dictates this and the sort of degree to which the people, the networks are willing to recognize, you know, change their algorithm to reflect, downloads and not just you know traditional q rating the level of fame and the way in which conventional categories of like tv journalism twitter are, are kind of all collapsing into each other mm -hmm. so it's not just oh you're famous but you're famous over there over there is now over here <laughs> it's one yeah. it's one big world i also want to come around to a word you said a minute ago relationships relationships mm -hmm. this is actually the key more than any football information statistical information everything else i am absolutely convinced that's why people watch these tv shows the ones that really really succeed is mm -hmm. the relationships between the hosts i had one time i was talking to david hill who's the guy who created fox sports the sports division at fox and fox nfl sunday uh, with that. And he said, you know, people used to ask me, like, why is this show successful? Is it the chemistry? He said, no, no, it's not chemistry. It's friendship. 
which is a very different thing, right? People, Fox NFL Sunday is successful because people think those hosts really like each other and have genuine relationships. They watch it inside mm-hmm. the NBA. You are interested. You know how Kenny and Charles and Shaq interact with each other and you want to see that happen. PTI on ESPN, right? Those are genuine relationships that exist in a non-television sense. And that's, that's what gets you to the second level, as they say in the NFL. Yeah. Right? It's what works. So it's actually, it is a Wait. carryover from podcasting, right? It is. It's, it's Can- like, I like this because these people genuinely have a thing and I'm going to watch this thing play out on television. Can I ask you just a totally unnecessary point of clarification? Do you think the presumption by most viewers, by average viewers, or maybe even say average viewers 10 years, 20 years ago was that all co-hosts are friends unless they're palpably, palpably feuding <laughs> or, and, and the Fox folks just do it, just kind of up the ante a little bit. Or do you think it's something specific to that show and to inside the NBA or whatever that they convey a level of personal relationship? I think it's the latter by far. Okay. Look at, look at, yeah. Look at CBS's pregame show right now. Totally fine. Do you think Dan Marino has a relationship with the other guys on the panel? Do you sense that when you watch a show? I don't. Uh, game day, by the way, I left off the list of ones that are both really, really have been successful oh, yeah. and guys that feel like they really like each other on mm-hmm. television. Now, yeah. is some of that for TV? Absolutely. It's television. It's performance. But there is a relationship there that's not just, how many podcasts have you heard, dude, where it's like, here's somebody I really like. Here's somebody I also really like. This podcast is just okay because they don't actually seem to like each other. Mm-hmm. or even hate each other, right? And that's the relationship I'm going for. They just kind of a, are coexisting in the same space. That sucks. Right. That sucks as TV. It sucks as a pot. It sucks as everything. And I think yeah. when, you, when you find those, I mean, look at the ES, some of the ESPN studio shows. Like you look, it's like, does that person like that person? Do they hang out? Do they have, do they, do they even have, do I believe they have cool conversation, the cool conversations with each other? Nope. So I don't, why am I watching this? If they don't have a relationship, why am I going to have a relationship with their show? That to me is the magic ingredient at the end of the day that kicks you to another level. Yeah. I mean, are you talking specifically this? It maybe doesn't matter. Are you talking specifically about like podcast guests or like, like when they, when there's a lack of chemistry there or just like co-hosts of certain podcasts, mostly the hosts. Yeah. Okay. Cause that's a really specific, I mean, that's a more specific category in my mind, but yeah, I bill and cousin Sal. Chris and Andy on the ringer, right? Yeah. Why do you, are they, do they do awesome? Do they say awesome things? Absolutely. But I think first and foremost, when I come, I come for the relationship between those two people. Oh, for sure. For sure. It feels comfortable. It feels fun. This is this like, I'm, I'm with your, your, your eavesdropping on a friendship. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think eavesdropping is a good, is, is I think one of the unifying things here. We talked a couple of times in the past few months. Uh, and I think I made the point that Maria Taylor's, you know, one of her great guests on NBA Countdown was making you feel like you were walking into a conversation that it felt like you were there was a sort of perpetual motion to the con to, to to whatever the conversation that was going on was that like so it sort of made it feel longer and bigger than it was, but it also felt like I mean implicitly that you were listening in, right? That there was conversation that was going on before the cameras turned on and after they turned off. Um, you get that on. Inside the NBA too, right? I mean, there's it's just sure you, the 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 maybe not before the cameras turn on, but it's it's impossible to 
you know, to imagine that when the cameras turn off, some of like the, you know, that some of these conversations don't continue, or at least that the laughter doesn't continue, you know, it just seems like it must go on for hours. So, yeah, I think that that's, I think that that's a real key. And I think that that's an instance where, you know, podcasters, the right set of podcasters would certainly have an advantage um, over, you know, just replacement level TV talent. But I'm not sure that, I mean, but, but I guess what we're saying is it, it, the, net, the, the network, the producers or the network executives feel like they can, repl- feel like they can create those relationships so they can create those moments. And certainly they, they're not that they're not always successful, but, but it does seem like it's more of a premium at creating those relationships between people who they already want, you know, who they've already decided to have the Q rating high enough that they deserve to, you know, they should be on television. Totally. But, but there's no reason you couldn't do it with a, with a, with a podcaster or with somebody we don't know. Look at no, it just, it just take it. You have to have the, you have to be motivated to, to take the relationship and to take this, like, you know, take the banter and take the, take all the good things that come with it. And then you create the other half, right. As opposed to taking the other half and creating the relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's, that is, that is the key. I mean, I think of game day, right. Chris, the bear Felica Falica. I always mispronounce mm-hmm. his last name. Is that a guy I was turning on game day to see? No. Do I now look forward to that segment because he's like making picks and talking to the guys and, you know, picking against the spread. Yeah. That's awesome. Right. It's a good element to that show. Yeah. So I think there is, um, there is something there and I, and I would just, I would just emphasize there's like such a thing as a friendship and then there's such a thing, a relationship. And then there's translating a relationship into a TV relationship. Mm-hmm. And those are actually different things because sometimes people have a very genuine off-camera relationship and then you put them on a show together and you're like, this sucks. <laughs> this is this is not something I want to watch. Mm-hmm. This just doesn't this doesn't work. And people, well, and, you know, in in TV. And and you know, we can we can try to narrow down the definitions of relationships or of chemistry or whatever else. It's not necessarily, it doesn't always have to be a positive relationship. I mean, no. no one would say, no one say Kenny and Charles. I mean, you, you presume that they're probably friends, but it's not like they're just like, you know, talking about it. It's not like they engage like besties, you know? And, and I mean, obviously there's a million other examples of that. I mean, we just talked to Brian Rafferty on the show, Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert were uh, very rarely like, you know, intimate friends off camera, but they certainly had a sort of relationship on camera that sort of, that's almost intangible. Um, Uh And it was kind of the competition, right? It was the anti, you know, relationship doesn't have to be friendly, right? A relationship can be, we are arch competitors and we are going at it on television. Yeah. And PTI sort of operates under that, uh, that same way. A lot of the times, I mean, there's a little bit of that too. Yep. um, They, they, they have a, I don't think, you know, for sure if they're golfing buddies or if they're, you know, competitors first and foremost, but the, but it's the sort of relationship that that again, it's kind of intangible, but it's very very evident when you watch it. It's the relationship of two people that have the same job at the same publication. Yeah. Are you going to be that person's absolute best friend? Maybe. Or are you going to have a little competitive edge where you feel that the column you're writing or the thing you're writing is 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 you know on Tuesday better than the one that he's writing? I don't think it's the answers both probably in their case. When when you when you put it that way, the people that have the same job at the same publication or even different publications, that sounds like a lot of podcasts I know. 
It does. It does, right? And there's and hey, I, I I'm not breaking any news here that sometimes you can feel the uh, you can feel the edge and the anti chemistry just pouring out of the podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, let me tell you, I'm going to have a better take than you, and I'm going to show everybody right now that I do, and I'm going to yeah. cut you off and 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 mess with you a little bit. Oh, that happens a lot. Um, is it time for speaking of relationships? relationships that are both on and off the air. Is it time for David Shoemaker guesses this strain pun headline? Oh yes, please. Friday's headline about accused mob defendants, David was consider the mobster. <laughs> Today's headline comes from our pal, Joseph Bien Khan. It's from medium. It's a story about a man who went missing in a tiny town in the Australian outback. As the subhead of the story says in this town of 12, Everyone is a possible suspect. What was Medium's strained pun headline? The Australian Outback? Yeah, Outback is going to be the word you're playing with here. Uh, Outback Steakhouse, Outback Jack. um, Twelve people, David. A really a small, claustrophobic uh, mystery. Knives Outback. Oh my gosh, you got it. Oh, really? <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, you said claustrophobic mystery. Oh, I, don't know. I thought I was going to have to do a lot of leading to water on that one. <laughs> That's a good one. Damn, that was good. I don't know if that reads, but it's pretty brilliant. This is my genuine uh, not podcasting emotion coming through right here. I'm surprised David got it that quickly. Well done. That's David. A fanta- it's a fantastic movie. Nice though. He is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Production Magic by Erica Cervantes. We are back Friday with more lukewarm takes about the media. See you then, David. See you later, Brian.